Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone. Glad that you are here with us. Glad all of you are joining us online as well. Um, it's already been a good morning of worship, and uh, we're going to continue now. So, uh, worshiping the Lord through the, the studying of His Word. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Old Testament book of Haggai. Going to be Haggai chapter 2 as we uh, finish up a series today that we've done throughout the month of February. And that series is simply Return to Normal with a question mark. And as we uh, begin to navigate what post pandemic kind of looks like, you know, there's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different, you know, expressed and sometimes not expressed expectations as to what this is going to look like. You know, I think in a lot of our minds, um, you know, I think once one of the messages I kind of went back to when this first happened, you know, we, when it first kind of sprung out uh, about a year ago, we were like, what, what, how long is this going to last? And I remember a lot of us talking, well, you know, I think we'll probably be back before Easter right? Well, here we are a year later, and we're kind of back, but not fully back yet, you know, so uh, we just, we had no idea what to expect. Well, now, as we're preparing with the vaccines coming out to go back to normal, what does new normal look like? And I'm afraid a lot of us have this expectation that we're going to go back to the way things used to be exactly uh, in life, in culture, and you know, career, and church life, school life, everything. So I just don't think that's a realistic expectation. So what we're doing, we're going to the book of, of, um, of Haggai, because the book of Haggai tells of God's people they had been in exile for 70 years. So they had been taken away from their home. Their city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The walls had been demolished. The temple that they had worshipped God in had been destroyed. And, and now, 70 years later, there's very few people still alive that remember what it had been like. But they'd all heard stories. You know, they'd heard mom and dad and grandparents tell, us, tell them about the great city and the incredible temple and what it was like to worship God as a people there in Jerusalem. And so as and then when, when King Cyrus of Persia was moved by God to start letting the people go back and rebuild, I'm sure a lot of them had that in their mind as an expectation. Hey, we're going to go back to the way things used to be. And that just never happened. That was an unrealistic expectation. So, so far we've looked at in this series, if you looked at, you know, the, the peril of unmet expectations, uh, when they went back, they... They were told immediately to start rebuilding the temple of God, and they started that, but when there was just a little bit of conflict, a little bit of resistance, they stopped, and they got their priorities all out of whack. So we see that whenever we're able to go back to a normal, we're tempted to have unmet, to have crazy expectations. We're also tempted to get our priorities off kilter. And then last week, Pastor Brian talked about the importance of obedience in those times of transition. Well, today we're looking at this, this issue of hope, the hope that we need uh, as we prepare to, to come out of pandemic, to reestablish what a new normal is going to look like. This is the hope that we need. So we're in Haggai chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 20 uh, through verse 23. So if I could get all of you to please stand in honor of the reading of, of God's holy word. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. It says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, for I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. 
I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. And on that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful to be able to gather here in your name, um, to be able to sing these songs to you and about you, to be able to gather virtually when we can't make it here in person. And God, you just bless us with so much opportunity, so much potential to worship you, to just love you, to be loved by you. And, and God, now to open up your word and, and hear directly from you the story of you and your people and see the principles that you would apply to us for today. So God, I just pray that you would just give us understanding. Uh, Lord, you would fill our, our hearts and minds today with, with uh, Lord, kind of a holy anticipation of what you're doing in us now and going to continue to do through us tomorrow and in the future. And God, just help us to just kind of posture a heart of humility to where we want to be a part of what you're doing. God, we want to be all in for your kingdom. God, we don't, we don't know what tomorrow looks like. But God, you hold tomorrow in your hands. And so, Lord, our trust, I just pray we trust you. I just pray we're ready to follow you and to live for you with everything that we've got. So, God, we just commend this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So, this passage is, uh, is kind of, it's a little bit repetitive. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter two. God said some of the same things. I'm about to shake the earth and all that sort of thing. And he's just telling about, at that point, he was talking about what he was going to do, do with the temple. Well, here today, he's talking specifically to this guy, Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel uh, is a very interesting person. He, he would have been the king um, had Judas continued on as a kingdom, Zerubbabel was a direct descendant of King David. So he would have been the king had that still been going on. And it's through Zerubbabel's continued line that we get to the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So this is the messianic line. So here the, the promise, this hope, is given to Zerubbabel as the leader of God's people. Because he's leading in this tumultuous time. And, you know, life is, life is full of crazy ups and downs, isn't it? And when, it, when, when go, things go crazy like they have this past year, whether you're talking pandemic, whether you're talking, you know, more personal stuff going on, just life can be crazy. And in those moments, it's so important for us to have direction, to have that crystal clear direction that we know we need to go. And Zerubbabel was struggling with this. He's the guy that was called to lead God's people in this transition from exile back to the city to rebuild it and all these sort of things. And it's just been, it's been a battle. Well, here God has given him particular hope, particular promises. That's what we want to unpack a little bit today. So um, if you have your app, uh, you can open that up and take some notes as we go along. The app's just called Canaan STL, and there's fill in the blanks you can type in on the app, et cetera. I think there's a few hard copies of sermon notes that were still out there. If you need one of those, you can just um, go grab one. That, that's all good. But here's what we're looking at. Number one in your notes. The first thing we see, the great truth that, that God is dealing with with Zerubbabel and the people is this fact that yesterday's normal is not the vision for tomorrow God's people here in Jerusalem were rebuilding and in the back of their minds their vision for what this was supposed to be was what it had been and here God comes along and says well no 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 I'm going to shake the heavens I'm going to I'm going to 
destroy all the, king, all the Gentile kingdoms who have threatened you, like the Babylonians, like the Persians. No, no, no. The, the future is not the past. And I think that's something we really need to heed, is that the vision for our lives, whether you're talking for Canaan Baptist Church, whether you're talking about your own individual life, your family's life, even our national life, the vision for tomorrow is not what it used to be. The good old days, whatever, whatever that may be for you, right? You know, it's never going to be like, I am never, ever going to look like I'm 25 again. Much to my chagrin, right? And those of you that are past 25, neither are you. Except in the resurrection, we're going to look even better, right? But that aside, you know, that, it's just, we, we can't go back to yesterday, you know? And so, so here's some, some, some sub-truths we see. Letter A, there's always a natural draw for us to, to kind of gravitate back towards a previous normal when we find ourselves in a kind of a time of transition. There's that desire to go back to, normal, to normality, even in those extreme cases where previous normal for us was extreme dysfunction. You know, you, you just kind of see that. You see, you see just when, you know, like when there's certain, there's an abusive situation in a relationship, how much a person will go back to that, just even, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's, it's dangerous and the person's in jeopardy, but because that has been normal, there is that, that innate, fallen nature kind of draw to go back to familiar. Because at least in familiar, in normal, we know what to expect. You know, we, we, we know what that's going to be like. But when it comes to times of transition, especially when we can't see on the other side of transition, it can be difficult. It can be scary because we don't know what to expect. We don't we don't know what that's going to hold. For us coming out of pandemic, we don't know what kind of job categories are going to just explode and take off or what kind of job categories will just dry up and wither. We, we don't know these things, right? We don't know how the economy is going to do long term. We don't know how these vaccines are going to really affect things long term. We don't know if we're going to have to get these vaccines just once or annually or twice a year. I mean, there's so much we don't know, right? But we know the one who does. And so what we need to hear again and again and again is just trust the Lord. Just do what he's called us to do. Trust him for all these unanswered questions because we can't answer them. We can't manufacture data. We can't do these things. We can just trust him and thrive where he has planted us. So we've got to understand that natural draw back to a normal. We see that not only here because here they, they wanted it to be like it used to be, but also earlier in Old Testament days, there's the account of, of Moses. Moses was leading God's people. This would have been about a thousand years um, before they returned to rebuild Jerusalem, about a thousand years before Zerubbabel. Moses had led God's people out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And God had incredibly, through Moses, led them out of slavery and you know, gave them the Ten Commandments, taking them on this journey. They, now they were at the cusp of what was called the Promised Land. Anybody know what the name of the Promised Land was? Canaan, yeah, that's, why, that's where our church gets its name, right? So they're on the cusp of the promised land, ready to go into this land that God himself had described as flowing with milk and honey. It is prosperous. It is abundant. So everything sounded good. So Moses and the people get right to the Jordan River, and on the other side of the Jordan River was Canaan. And so Moses gets 12 spies, and all you know this story. He gets 12 spies, and he sends these 12 spies off into Canaan to come back then and give a report, and they come back, and they're bringing clusters, you know, uh, clusters of grapes and just all these you know, examples of the bounty of the land of Canaan. There's no doubt that God's vision is good, but 10 of those 12 Spies say, but the armies are big and massive. There's no way we can do this. This is an impossible 
vision. And Caleb and Joshua say, no, but, but the Lord has promised us this. Let's just trust the Lord. We don't know how we'll take these cities, but God's going to give them to us. And, you know, to these people's credit, I mean, who would have ever imagined that God's battle plan for taking the first city of Jericho is simply to march around it and yell real loud, and that God would cause the walls to tumble? They could not have imagined that kind of battle plan, right? But at this point, that was future. They didn't know. It was a transition. They couldn't see that. They, had, they didn't know what to expect. So what do they say? When they're faced with this unknown, what do they gravitate back towards? Look what they say. They say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were whipped. They were oppressed. Their children were stolen from them. Pharaoh had decreed for them to throw their infants into the Nile River and drown them. They wanted to go back to that. The power of fear of the unknown. Instead of just trusting in the Lord, they wanted to gravitate back to that normal, as awful as it was, because they were more comfortable with the idea of normal than they were the fear of the unknown because they didn't trust God. And he even said, so let's appoint a leader. They said they wanted to fire Moses, probably one of the greatest leaders in history. They wanted to fire him because they were so afraid. Well, if you know the rest of the story, they, they listened to the reports of the 10. They listened to reports of Joshua and Caleb. And I don't know if they did a vote or how they manifested this decision, but they chose to listen to the 10. And so God was so frustrated, he said, okay, this entire generation will have to die before I bring you in there. So you're going to wander around for 40 years. They paid a price for not trusting in the Lord in a time of transition. We're in a time of transition. Please, trust Jesus. Trust him. And we're going to talk about what that looks like here in just a, in a moment. But understand, we gravitate toward that old normal. Secondly, letter B, but God always has a reason that the previous normal is not tomorrow's vision. God's plan is always advancing. It's always moving forward. God is not stagnant. God is not stationary. He is moving. You know, John chapter 5, Jesus says, My Father is always working. He's always up to something. Right now, God is up to something in your life. You might not see it. You might not acknowledge it. In your life, my, you would say, my, my life is terrible right now. That does not mean God is not working. Because all of our life has been in terrible spots before. Amen? Can I just get an amen on that? There are some cruddy days. There's some cruddy seasons in life. It doesn't mean God's not working. Just the opposite. It's usually in those cruddy times, those times of transition where God does his deepest, most meaningful, impactful work in us. We just got to look to him. We got to trust him. And yield it to him. Surrender it to him. And let him have it. Because God always has that reason. That's why trying to go back to the way things used to be is never a good move. Because God is always moving forward. What if the video game industry said, you know what? We need to go back to doing video games like the Atari 2600. Anybody remember the Atari 2600? Anybody? How many of you had an Atari 2600? Yep. Yeah, the graphics was like a blip. You know? So, like, I see my kids playing video games today. I mean, it's almost like you're watching a movie. It's incredible. But back then, you know, if you had a guy, I mean, there's a game in Atari called Adventure, right? It was just this little square blip was the man, 
and he had a spear, which was a little dash with a little arrow on the end of it. And that was your spear. I mean, it was just terrible graphics. But in the day, I thought it was awesome. But now, if you try to sell Atari video game to today's generation, you think it's going to go anywhere? Absolutely not. No way. Because things just move forward. They just move forward. Or trying to sell a family, not an iPhone, but the old box phone with a little speaker phone right there, and you had to hold the thing up to your ear and call the operator first. Remember those? We're not going back to those things. Things go forward. God's plan for tomorrow is not what happened yesterday. This is, and God knows this for his people here with Zerubbabel. This is why he's telling them, look, don't get caught up in today. There's greater things coming. He had just told this, the same group of people earlier uh, through Jeremiah the prophet, the, the famous verse a lot of people quote, Jeremiah 29, 11, says, I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for your disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. So don't get caught up in yesterday, Judah, the nation of Judah, because tomorrow I'm going to accomplish my promises, and it's going, to be, it's going to be even greater. You're going to have a lot of hope. Now, none of that generation saw that lived out. That happened in a future generation. But God is always wanting to focus us on the future, not on the past. Number two in your notes. God's vision for tomorrow goes far beyond yesterday's normal. Not only is yesterday's normal not the vision for God's tomorrow, but God's vision for tomorrow is even greater. It goes way beyond what the past could hold. He's telling Zerubbabel, look, you're, you're focused on Solomon's temple. Yeah, that was great. It was impressive. You read stories of the Queen of Sheba coming to King Solomon and just being in awe of, of, the, of the beauty of Jerusalem, the temple, the vastness of his wealth and his power and his wisdom that God had given him. And so, People after Solomon say, that was incredible days. But here God's telling Zerubbabel, as Zerubbabel's looking at this not even close temple to Solomon's, right? Looking at this city that's trying to be rebuilt, but it's just a far cry from what once had been. God is telling Zerubbabel, look, I'm going to shake the heavens. You know these people around you that have, that have been kind of pestering you? I'm going I'm to destroy the Gentile kingdoms against you, against my people. Tomorrow, you're going to be my own representative, my signet ring, which is like the personal representative of the king. If you bore the king's signet, you essentially were the king. You kind of see the same language over in Hebrews 1 where it says Christ is the express representation of God. Kind of see that same concept. This is a messianic kind of con uh, concept that God is telling Zerubbabel as a representative of Messiah. Look, all this hope is coming. It's going to be great. The nations will bow down to you. And so we see that this hope that is coming is so much greater. We see this as the authors of the book of Hebrews, author of Hebrews writes about these Old Testament people that had such faith. Kind of a hall of faith is what it's called. He writes, says, these all died in faith. Talking about these Old Testament faithful. All died in faith without having received the promises. That is the gospel of Christ. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them. And confess that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been remembering that land they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now aspire to even a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what the authors of Hebrews are saying, look, even if they had gone back to the land 
It's, not, it's nothing compared to this better land God has for them. That God's best is still in the future awaiting them. The same is true for all of us. God always wants us to stay focused on the future, on where this is all heading, on the hope of tomorrow. Not to be so desperate to get back the way things used to be, but to be wide open and trusting God for what things are coming. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds, but he does. So we've got to trust him. And then number three in your notes, God will ensure his vision will come to pass through his people. This is a mystery. Now, Tara and I, we, we, we talk a lot, you know, how in the world does God ever get anything done through us? Because we're a mess. We are. I mean, I, mean I'm, I can be such a knucklehead. Can any of y'all be a knucklehead? Yeah, if you've been a knucklehead, just raise your hand. Yep, that's right. Somebody being a knucklehead now and not raising your hand. <laughs> but we are. I mean, we just, I mean, it doesn't matter. If it's, if it's relationships, man, we can mess those up. If it's, you know, church stuff, we can mess that up. If it's government, we can sure mess that up. I mean, we are masters at mess up. That's what we are. But yet God in his mysterious wisdom has chosen to do his work, not independently from us, but in and through us. God has chosen to bring the hope to change the world through us. And if you kind of chronicle the way that God manifests his presence, it's, it's really interesting. You know, he starts, he walks with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then they sin and there's that separation. And you find later that God makes a covenant with Abraham. And then with Moses, God gives this idea of the tabernacle. And that God's presence is represented in this tabernacle, which is a, a portable tent. And then you kind of fast forward, you get to King Solomon. And so Solomon's like, you know, Solomon and David are tired of seeing God in a tent while they're in a palace. So they want to build God a nice place. And so God says, build me a temple. They build him a temple. And so that's now God's place. And so the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, that's kind of seen as God's presence, his dwelling place. Then toward the end of the Old Testament, you see God, his glory departs because of the continuous sin and rebellion of Israel. God, his presence departs from Israel and he says, I'm going to do a new covenant. So we fast forward. The next time we see God's presence with his people is in the person of Jesus Christ. You see John chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And in verse 14 of that chapter 1 it says, And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. By the way, that word dwelt is the Greek word tabernacled. Pretty cool, the connections there. Tabernacled among us. So Jesus lives his life as God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He goes to the cross for you and me. He dies on the cross, becoming our sin, God becoming sin. You know the, the irony of that. But God became our sin. He bore our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he died. But we know on the third day, we just sang about it powerfully. We will sing about it here in invitation time. He rose again on the third day. He's alive. But then Christ, God in the flesh, ascended to be with the Father. So now where's God's presence? Well, then he, Acts chapter 2, he sends his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit dwells where? In us. So now, where is the presence of God on earth? It is in his people, his body, us. So God wants to do his work through us, his body, his presence here on earth. And that's a call, that's a tall calling. Let's kind of break that down. So accomplishing God's vision requires great faith. Great faith. It takes great faith to trust God 
for things we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen this year, but yet we got to trust God. Here's Zerubbabel. He didn't, he didn't know what the future held, but he was called to trust God. Moses says they are getting ready to embark into the promised land. He didn't know how they were going to defeat these enemies. He didn't know how they were going to conquer these cities with these massive armies and massive walls. But he trusted God, but the rest of the people didn't. God were called to trust. It's a life of faith. That's why Paul writes, live by faith, not by sight. If I can see what's going to happen tomorrow, that's living by sight. If I got to have all the proof to show me every little detail of why I should, you know, follow God, well, that's not faith, that's sight. That doesn't honor God. Faith is what honors the Lord. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to please God, we must have faith. And so following God, accomplishing God's vision in us and through us requires great Faith. It's believing that God can do great things. Ephesians 3.20 helps us put this into words. It says, now to him, being Christ, who is able, I love this verse, I, I use it a lot. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Just, just hold on. Let's just, how many of you have asked a lot from God? Just look after your life, yeah. How many of you prayed before a big exam back in high school or college? Yep. How many of you prayed for to meet that person that you could marry? Now of you raised your hands. You should start praying that if you haven't met someone yet. It works. Um, how many of you have prayed for your children? How many of you prayed for your career? How many of you prayed for lost people? Yeah. I mean, just think of all the things that we have asked God for. According to here, Paul says he is able to above and beyond all that we have asked. But he doesn't stop there. Not all that we've just asked, but all that we think. And the concept here is, is think, is like imagine. Now, I know a lot of you have great imaginations. I've got a big imagination, right? So the fact that God is able to do more than we can even imagine that's a big God. In fact, it was this verse that William Carey was meditating on. William Carey was known as the father of modern-day missions. 1802, William Carey lived in England. He had called a meeting of, of some of the, the Baptist uh, leadership there in, in Great Britain to try to get them to buy into and support sending him and his family to India to share the gospel with the un reached people of India. So he had this meeting with these Baptist leaders and he was making his, his presentation and he read this verse and then he said, look, we've got to risk. We've got to take big risks. We've got to try great things for God and expect great things from God because we can't outthink and outimagine what God can do. That's me adding that last part. He was right. So they were swayed. They were, you know, whether by the Holy Spirit or, you know, William Carey's persuasive speech, probably both. They voted to support the Carey family as they left England. This was before, like, the Suez Canal and all that. So they sail all the way around the southern tip of Africa, all the way over to India. It's like a seven-month voyage to get to India. So they do this. Great faith. Great faith. 
to sail to this unknown land, not knowing what to expect, what he's going to encounter, didn't know the language, just knew God said go. So they're going expecting these big things from God. Letter B says, accomplishing God's vision requires great obedience. So on the way on the voyage, William Carey, his wife, is pregnant when they leave. So as they hit the, the western coast of Africa, she gives birth to a child. And being on the ship in just unsanitary conditions, the child dies before they ever reach India. They get to India. They're there for seven years. They try to build a life. They start to learn the language. William Carey tries to begin to preach the gospel to people, but from language barriers and then just their own culture, no one's, no one's trusting in Christ. Seven years, not a single conversion happens in India. By this time, his wife is gone quite insane. She blamed him for all of their miseries. And why had you, you could just totally hear this conversation going on. Why did you make us leave England where everything was great? We were comfortable. Our kids were happy and healthy. You know, we had good schools. I mean, everything was great. You dragged us, drugged us, dragged us, dragged us all the way across this globe to India. We've lost, we've lost children. I mean, just on and on. You can hear it. You can just wholly hear all this happening, right? Seven years, nothing. No evidence that this has been worthwhile whatsoever. But William Carey writes in his journal. We can still read his journals today. We still have them. It's incredible. Just to read through his faith battle. He was, but I'm still going to be obedient to the call that I know God has on our lives. Here, Zerubbabel. They had to be obedient, and we know that they were. Zerubbabel takes this word and goes back to God's people, and they finally finish building the temple. And yeah, it's, it's nothing like what Solomon's once had been, but they were obedient. They did it. Shortly after this, Ezra, the priest, comes, and if you read the book of Ezra, it kind of takes up the story here where Haggai kind of leaves off, and you read Ezra, and Ezra the priest comes and reintroduces everyone to the word of God. They haven't read the word of God in generation, Right? They do the Passover for the first time in decades. That'd be like us. Just imagine if we had like a, a, an Easter service or if we had a, a, a Christmas Eve service for the first time in 70 years. How exciting that would be to be able to do that again, right? It was a big deal, big moment. So all this stuff was going on because they were being obedient. And then lastly, Nehemiah comes along and builds the wall. So they were being obedient in a tough time. You normally, if you go to rebuild a city in ancient times, the first thing you build is the wall because that's what protects you from the bad guys. But God had told them, no, to start with the temple, then build the city, and lastly build the wall because I want you to trust me. Well, they obeyed. They did it God's way. And it, it paid off. The book of Romans, Paul says this about the Roman church. It says, the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. The church was obedient in spite of persecution and obstacles. So accomplishing God's vision requires great faith, great obedience, and lastly, great work. Great work. Zerubbabel and his people, because they believed God and trusted God, they worked hard. William Carey over in India, seven years, nothing. But he continued to be faithful. The whole time, though, he's learning the language. 
And after seven years, he's like, if only I could get them to read, maybe if they could read this in their language, they would understand. So he began to translate the scripture into the, the dialect that he was in there in India. And that became his great work. Through his translation of scripture, literally thousands of people in India gave their life to Christ. And the church was born in India because of the faithfulness, the obedience, and the work of William Carey. It's incredible to read his biography and story of all that God did in that country because of his faithfulness. It was not easy. We're never told that following Christ is easy, but we are called to. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, look, we're his, we're his creation, his workmanship. The Greek word here is poema, his, you know, his poetry, his masterpiece, his magnum opus, if you will. And we are created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared for us ahead of time or before time began, so we should walk in them. This is why God saves us. He saves us so then we can be a part of what he's doing to bring redemption and hope to the whole planet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you, Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us how we must walk and please God. That serving through faith, trusting God with faith, obedience, and work. So what is God calling us to do as a church? We've kind of been over, I've heard some things about Vision 2025, you know. This is what we believe God's calling us to as a church family. Pandemic, post-pandemic, our new normal will have to incorporate this because this is what God has laid on our heart is that we're going to take as many people with us as possible to heaven. So to do that, we've talked about these before, but this is our focus. This is our future focus, bringing, on, bringing the gospel to every zip code, in these, every home in these zip codes, 129-128-010. We actually start that this coming Saturday, Saturday morning. We're going to begin just going prayer walking through neighborhoods, here in, in uh, just real, right around their Melville campus location, you know, handing out little packets that has gospel material in it, and church material in it, we're gonna start this. And it's just, just the beginning. We're gonna see our St. Louis membership increase. We're gonna have 7,700 gospel conversations the next five years. If you do the average, 25 gospel conversations a week, which means we just wanna keep that in the forefront of your mind. So as you're just doing life, Remember, hey, I need, I need to have a gospel conversation this week. Maybe there's somebody I can talk to just to just start talking about the gospel. Ask them, hey, what's your spiritual beliefs? Or, hey, how can I pray for you? You know, what, what do you understand about Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? I mean, just simple, simple conversation. We're not asking you to memorize a whole big long list of stuff. Just, just have organic conversations about Jesus. Now, if all of us did this every week, we would crush this goal. This is 25. Out of a church of 850 members, we should be able to have 25 gospel conversations a week, right? Third, effectively train all of our adults and teens to accomplish your individual commitments. That's if you go back to this end of this past year, we did this series called Cadence, where we went over each nine um, individual, you know, characteristic that a born-again, revived follower of Jesus does, like learning the scriptures, praying in the spirit, you know, going and sharing the gospel, you know, being a part of a discipleship process. We talked about these nine things. So that's part of it. Seeing 40% increase in reaching, baptizing, discipling 12 to 17-year-olds. 
launching at least one additional campus or church plant here. And we were on the cusp of that. We, we prayed about that. And here's where an example of Ephesians 3.20, right? We, we talked about that. And I mean, right at God just laid this Melville opportunity right in our lap. Number six, equipping 75 faithful followers to effectively lead in discipleship, the training of the next generation. It's just leadership development. If we're going to start new ministries, new locations, we've got to have new leaders. That's, that's a no-brainer. But this is number seven, sending at least 250 members on cross-cultural missions annually. There's a lot of opportunities. Like just yesterday, Mark, Pastor Martin and I were up in Fairmont City, Illinois, meeting with some folks. You know, we've, we've done some work up there. Rachel Taylor and some of our other folks have already done some working up there, but we believe God has really opened up opportunities to plant a Hispanic church right there in Fairmont City. It's a great opportunity for us. You can go on a mission trip 30 minutes away, right? Um, also, we have a partnership in, in, in Mexico, Puebla area, in Atlixco. We're kind of working with two churches, and they're planting a bunch of churches in like 30-something villages all around them. It's exciting that we're, we get to be a part of that. We have an unreached people group that we've adopted. It's Canaan Baptist Church in West Africa in Senegal. And you know, we've been going there for seven years, kind of like the William Carey story. After seven years, we have finally had our first conversion. And it is so exciting. And right now, Rick Schwer from our church is actually there. And there's going to be a, a baptism kind of in secret because it's super dangerous for this, this young man who's given his life to Christ right now. But it's just so exciting. The chief has given us property, and we now have a house in the village on the property. And us, lack of faith, we thought that that would be a great place for us to house their indigenous missionary there and for us to go and use when we take trips. But no, God's got bigger plans. Now the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention wants to use our little house in our little village in West Africa as a hub to do gospel work for 30-plus people groups in West Africa. So there's going to be all kinds of gospel activity going on in our little village that seven years ago we were just trying to get the gospel into. That's a big God, amen? Amen. So there's so many opportunities, so many opportunities for us to be a part of cross-cultural missions. 250, that should be easy, should be easy to accomplish as we are just on fire for Jesus, embracing a vision for the future that's not the past. It's not the way things used to be. It's a new day. This pandemic, with whatever it brings our way, God is always, just say always with me, always going to bring gospel opportunity. And that's where we as the church, we've got to be poised, we've got to be postured, we've got to be our hearts on fire and ready for whatever it is that God has for us. So we've got to live that out. And that's what it is to be on part of God's team. It's exciting how he uses us, his people, to accomplish his great work. So if you go back to this Ephesians 2 I'm going to go back to that um, passage. Almost. There we go. You go back before this, it talks about the whole deal. It talks about, first, how do we become part of God's team and then how he uses us, right? So you look at Ephesians 2, we're almost done. But verse 8 says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So right there, he's very clear. Like, why, why are we doing these things? You know, we don't, we're not going to try to get the gospel to every zip code. We're not trying to start new campuses. We're not trying to send 250 people a year on mission trips so we can get God's favor, so we can earn God's acceptance. If that's your mindset, you will never get God's acceptance because that's not the way God works. 
There's nothing we can do according to what we just quoted, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. There's no work we can do to get God to say, wow, I've got I've to save that guy. I've got to save that gal. Because we are sinners. We have committed treason against God, right? But it's by grace through faith. Jesus did the work for us to be saved. Jesus went to the cross to bear our sin, our guilt, our shame for us. He died and he rose again on the third day. So now the way that we get on God's team, the way that we are saved and born again is by placing our trust and faith in Jesus. That what he did for us is sufficient. That now through Jesus, God accepts me. So I trust in Christ. That's what salvation's all about. It's, it's that surrendering our life to Jesus as Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says. So it's that trust moment, right? That trust. It's, it's by grace. It's not by works so that no one can boast, thankfully, right? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condition. We're broken, fallen sinners who Jesus saves sheerly by grace and love. And praise God for that. But because we're saved, because God now also has this verse 10, he has this work that he's created us and saved us to do, let's get about it, right? Let's get on with it. Because what we do now is what impacts all of eternity. What we do with our life now, if you remember several months ago, did the rope analogy. We had this little bit much of orange rope. And then the rest of the 100 feet represented all of eternity. But what we do in this little orange right now, what we do in this time right now is what matters. Let's be about it. Let's get on fire for Jesus. Let's not just mope and dream, well, I wish things would go back to the way they used to be. Because it's just not going to happen completely. Be open. Trust God for what he has new, what he has for opportunities for us. And man, let's seize those. There's going to be some tough times ahead, no doubt. But let God worry about that. Let's just stay focused on what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. Let's all stand and pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for the purpose you give us, direction. God, this life is not about me. Lord, I know that so many times we can make life be about us, be about our selfish ambitions and and God, just, we just can act so unwisely. Lord, like I said in jest earlier, we can just be knuckleheads. But God, thank you that you love us anyway, that you save us, that you begin this work of changing us because, God, you have ordained for us to do these great works that you've prepared us for. And God, these great works are sharing the gospel, making disciples of others, serving others, loving others, being your hands and feet, making a real difference in this planet because, God, we know that your kingdom will come. That's the future vision you gave to Zerubbabel is the coming and consummation of your kingdom. And, God, we, we pursue that. So, Lord, I just pray very simply right here, right now, if there is anyone here or watching online that has never had that moment where they've trusted in you, where they've surrendered their life to following you, that, God, this would be that moment when they cry out to you, say, Jesus, save me. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I'm a sinner. So, Lord, please forgive me and save me. And, Lord, just I want to be on your team. I just want to follow you. I want to be a part of your 
redemption plan for this whole world. So Lord, if there's anyone, again, here or watching who's never had that moment of surrender, I pray that God, this is that moment. Lord, we saw Bonnie earlier. She was baptized by Ed. She had that moment. She gave her life to you. And God, may that happen for many others right here, right now. And God, for those who have committed their life to you, Jesus, I pray that you would just minister us right here, right now. Lord, what is, what is our next step? Or maybe there's some here whose next step in following you is, is getting baptized. Maybe they've never gone forward in public with baptism. God, that's a next step to declare to the world that they're a follower of Jesus. God, maybe a next step for those in here is to join this church family so they can be a part of your team here at Canaan, accomplishing and seeking Vision 2025. Lord, we just pray that you would move in their hearts. God, maybe there's, I know there's a lot of members here, Lord, and watching online. God, show us what our next step is. Next step of being more engaged, more intentional. Maybe seeking you in our personal prayer life more. Maybe uh, spending more time in your word. God, maybe it's being more intentional in, in having gospel conversations. Maybe it's plugging into a connection group. God, whatever our next step is, I just pray you'd make it clear in our minds and hearts. And that, Lord, in this time of response we're about to have, that we would honor you in how we respond. So, Lord, we just commend this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.